The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey sis, welcome back to Girl Goodnight. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into this show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcast at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. For the month of January, we will be featuring the novel A Non-Maternal Instinct by author Makia Burrell. To learn more about the author and the novel, check out A Non-Maternal Instinct Part 1. The link to purchase A Non-Maternal Instinct as well as her social media handles will be listed in the episode notes. If you're looking for motivation, make sure to follow her on Instagram where she posts daily devotionals. Please note that this series will contain explicit language and references. In this episode, Levy's plan to snag a big baller is executed when she gets married and gives birth to her child. Tracy isn't as perfect as she seems as we learn more about her past, and Lovey's past is slowly but surely coming back to haunt her. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. Part 3 The actual wedding was to be held at the conservatory at Druid Hill Park. Tracy loved flowers because she and her grandmother shared a special bond through gardening. Her grandmother passed away from kidney failure about four years ago, but Tracy had still kept her fondness of foliage. The conservatory was the perfect place for her dream wedding as it held the right amount of romance and sentimental value for her. The limos took the bride's side and the groom's side to the venue separately. The guest list was about 40 people as Colt and Tracy agreed they wanted a small, intimate wedding. The limousines rode one behind the other through the city, drawing away stares from the people they passed. After about a 15-minute ride, the bride, groom, and their respective parties arrived at the venue. It was a mild May day, sunny with a good breeze, a lovely day to get hitched. The wedding party filed into the venue, all except Tracy, who waited with her mom in the cool limo to be walked down the aisle. The guests filed in after 
and everyone was spellbound by the gorgeous flowers. Colt awaited at the altar with the officiator, anxious to see his bride. Finally, the bridal march began to play and first down the aisle came Dream. She happily tossed the flower petals, walking at just the right pace, counting in her head. When she reached Colt, she gave him a hug and took her place by the bridesmaids. Then came Jonah down the aisle with a pillow holding the rings. He reached the altar and gave Colt a handshake, then took his place by the groomsmen. Then Tracy came down the aisle, escorted by her mother. She was stunning. Her dress fit over her baby bump just right, her train sweeping the pale pink rose petals down the aisle with her. Her auburn locks were pinned into an updo with pearl-adorned pins and her veil sat beautifully atop them, covering her face lightly. Colt's breath caught in his chest when he saw his bride and he couldn't wait till the vows were over to kiss her. Tracy knew once she saw the venue, the guests, the kids, and her man that all the stress planning it had been worth it. Vows were exchanged, rings were slid on fingers, kisses were swapped, and the ceremony went on without a hitch. There was barely a dry eye in the house as the couple joined together in holy matrimony. Afterwards was the reception at the ballroom of the Radisson. The guests, the wedding party, and the happy couple danced, ate, drank, and socialized well into the evening. The next day, Colt and Tracy would be flying to Jamaica for their honeymoon while the grandmas kept the kids for a week. After the nuptials, the family's routine didn't change much after the wedding as they already shared a home. In August, Tracy gave birth to a nine-pound baby boy. He was gorgeous, mocha-colored with a head full of hair. He was named Cody Allen Weaver, and his siblings adored him. The months passed without much incident, and they would accumulate into years. The kids were growing, the parents were glowing, and their finances were great. However, the Weavers would find that even the best families go through their stormy weather, and that it was up to them how they'd get through it. About six months after hatching her underhanded scheme, Lovey was delighted to find that it had indeed worked. She was about four months pregnant with Bryce's baby, and since passing the three-month mark was a good sign of the pregnancy being viable, she was ready to tell Bryce. Lovey gathered her ultrasound and her test results and sat them on the table in the parlor. Laying across her favorite chase lounge, she fought nausea as she waited for Bryce to come home from practice. She'd worn a lot of loose, flowing dresses lately and seduced Bryce in the dark to hide her developing pouch. Her intent was to wait until she was too far along for abortion to spring the news on Bryce. Levy was also extra careful not to smoke, drink, or do anything too strenuous as she had a history of miscarriage and had only carried one child to term. She'd even cut off her side due to assure that she'd only get pregnant by Bryce. Levy was determined to hook her big fish. The cunning character had fallen asleep on the chase lounge with the plate holding half a grilled cheese sandwich resting on her abdomen. Bryce found her that way when he walked into the parlor. He also noticed a set of black and white photos on the table and as he approached, he realized what they were, ultrasound photos. He picked them up and sat on the easy chair adjacent to the lounge Lovey was still asleep on. After sitting and staring at the ultrasound photos in shock for about 10 minutes, he shook Lovey gently to wake her. So you pregnant? His voice boomed. 
yawning and irritated that her nap was interrupted, Lovey inwardly gathered her composure before she answered meekly. Yes, I'm about four months along. We use protection every time though. That's crazy, Bryce rationalized. Yeah, but you know, things got a little rough that night after your birthday party and you were really drunk. I told you I felt stickiness on my leg and it wasn't mine. I think the condom broke. It was right before my period too. Levy's facial expression didn't even change as she lied fluidly to Bryce. Well, I guess it's nothing we can do now. It's too late for an abortion, Bryce sighed. Nobody expected this. But I don't see what the problem is, Bryce. You say you love me. You should be able to love our child, too. Lovey was beginning to get an attitude. I just thought I'd be married having my first child. I didn't want to be a baby daddy, Bryce said, walking over to try to soothe Lovey's irritation. Well, we're not, but who's to say we can't be? That's on you. All I know is that this baby is made now, so Lovey's voice trailed off. Bryce grabbed Lovey's hand and pulled her into his arms. She sniffled and began to fake cry. She sobbed dramatically, but her tears were those of joy. She'd successfully trapped him. Already a sucker for Lovey's antics, her contrived tears hooked him deeper. It's okay, baby. We're gonna be a family. I'm a young nigga with some bread. My seed or my girl ain't gonna want for nothing, Bryce assured her. It was music to Lovey's ears. Bryce started kissing her ears and neck. Lovey was already nauseated due to morning sickness and the thought of doing Bryce at that particular moment didn't help matters. However, she was still working to hook and secure her big fish, so she let him have his way. If only Bryce knew what the future held the elopement. Bryce and Lovey married a month later in a small ceremony at a beachfront resort in Antigua. They opted to have a very small destination wedding to try and thwart the press. Plus, a small wedding was easier to plan in such a short time. Now five months pregnant, Lovey's bump was still considerably small because she still worked out regularly. She was pressed for a snapback after the baby's birth. She wore a peach-colored, strapless maxi dress with a delicate lace pattern by Yves Saint Laurent with matching espadrilles. Bryce, who insisted they be married before their daughter was born, wore a peach-colored linen shirt and white linen pants. He finished his look with tan Prada loafers. Levy's ring was exquisite. It was a huge, one-carat, princess-cut diamond set in a platinum band. As rotten as she was on the inside, she was beautiful as far as the eye could see. Her mahogany skin shone from the pregnancy hormones and her hair hung in shiny black ringlets down her back. Though he was nervous initially and things felt rushed, Bryce felt like the luckiest man alive looking at Lovey. They recited their vows and were wed beachfront, a few feet from where turquoise waters and white sand met. Zoriana and Star were Lovey's bridesmaids, flown to the wedding on Bryce's dime and the only representatives in attendance for Lovey. Bryce's mother, grandmother, aunts, and a few cousins were there also. His agent and his best friend acted as his groomsmen. Bryce's mother Arlene made it known that she was leery of Lovey, throwing around slick comments to her family about how quickly Lovey got pregnant and how rushed the wedding was. Simply put, Arlene felt that Lovey was a gold digger with a plan and warned her son to be vigilant with his heart and his money. 
She felt there were nicer women with more class out there about themselves, and though her son was homely, he was successful and a gentleman. Arlene wished that her son would have found himself a Christian woman, but his nose was wide open for Lovey. Luckily, she had pushed Bryce's agent to convince him to get Lovey to sign a prenuptial agreement. Lovey didn't like it one bit, but she knew she could spend the hell out of Bryce's money anyway, so she went with it. Arlene spoke her piece and left it alone. She was a concerned mom now, but she still felt guilty for all the years she hadn't been there for Bryce. She wanted him to be happy, even if she didn't like his new wife. After the ceremony, the wedding party enjoyed a private dinner in the beautiful dining room at the resort. Then there was dancing, drinks, and cutting of the cake. After a few hours, Levy was tired of faking cordial with Bryce's family and friends and her feet were swollen. She and Bryce said their goodbyes and left their guests to enjoy the resort as they saw fit. The newlyweds retired to their suite happily. Bryce was over the moon. He had his dream career, a gorgeous wife, and a baby on the way. He couldn't ask for more. Levy was happy for a different reason. She hooked her big fish. She'd never have to hump a pole ever again. She'd shop till she dropped, mingle with and stun on the other wags, and barely lift a manicured finger. Though she carried his child, she planned on having little to do with raising it. They were rich enough for a nanny, and she still lacked a maternal instinct. She married for money and status, not love. Levy planned on living the good life for the rest of her life and on her new husband's dime, and she'd eliminate whoever threatened to stand in the way of it. Two and a half months after the quickie wedding, Levy gave birth to another girl, Paisley Ellen Gordon. Thankfully, the baby resembled her and not Bryce. Holding a day-old Paisley, Levy realized she had some strong genes as this new baby was born with the same mahogany skin, silky hair, and furrowed brows as Dream had been. Both her babies had been born beautiful. It was the first time in years she'd allowed her mind to wander and briefly rest on the thoughts of her older daughter who would be turning seven that year. She almost felt a twinge of guilt. And then she was jarred from her thoughts by the door of her hospital room opening loudly. It was Bryce carrying the food Levy requested and closely followed by whom was starting to become Levy's arch nemesis, Arlene. It was common to sense that Bryce's mother would want to see her first grandchild, but Levy would have been ecstatic if she never had to see Arlene again. Bryce walked over and kissed Levy on the forehead and beamed down at his baby girl. Arlene walked past the bed without addressing Lovey and sat down in a chair waiting for the baby to finish feeding so that she could hold her. The tension in the room was so thick it seemed to almost form a visible fog. After a few minutes, Paisley was done eating and Arlene slightly reached out for her. Lovey handed her over willingly as she was drowsing from her pain meds and ready to sleep them off. Plus, she was ready to get Arlene out of her presence as soon as possible. Arlene held the baby wordlessly for a long while, examining her features. Paisley was gorgeous without a doubt, even with the puffiness new babies have from a tough journey from the womb. However, she couldn't spot one feature inherited from her son. Arlene already didn't trust Lovey or her intentions for Bryce, and now it seemed her suspicions of the baby's paternity may have been accurate. She spoke up with no regard to how Lovey would react. 
This baby looks nothing like you. You need to get a DNA test, Arlene said matter-of-factly, placing the baby in the hospital bassinet. Get her out of my room now before I forget she's your mother, Lovey snapped at Bryce. She felt alert now, the fog of the medicine giving way to anger and shock. Mama, I know this is my baby. Now isn't the time for this anyway, Bryce said as calmly as he could. Our genes are strong and they take immediately. I'm your mother and I know better. Get this baby tested. You may be surprised at what you find. Arlene side-eyed Lovey, snatched up her purse, and left the room. If you want to stay married to me and in Paisley's life, you need to get that old bitch in check. She don't have to like me. I married you, not her. This is supposed to be one of the happiest days of our lives, and she comes here starting shit. Let's get the DNA test so she can know she's going to get used to me and stay in her place, Lovey fumed. I don't need no test. I know she's mine, Bryce retorted. Nah, she wants proof? I'll give her proof, Lovey snapped. Arlene was treading on thin ice in Lovey's opinion. She may have been Bryce's mother, but Lovey was his wife. She had Bryce by the balls and the wallet, and she'd do what she needed to to keep it that way. Mother-in-law be damned. The day they were discharged from the hospital, Lovey got Paisley DNA tested. Bryce was her father, of course. Lovey mailed Arlene the results overnight with a note that said, I'm here to stay. Get used to me or get lost. You should be thankful I blessed you with such a beautiful granddaughter. Act accordingly. Know that you can go against me, but you'll never win. So it's better off to be a friend. And it was just the beginning of a feud that would end in an unimaginable way. An unspeakable loss. Dream and Jonah were in the second grade now, and though they argued sometimes, they were closer than ever. They were in the same class at school, they played together at recess, and even ate together at lunch. All their classmates knew they were siblings, and they didn't bother them much. At home, they lavished baby Cody with attention, trying to teach him everything within their seven-year-old knowledge. They even tried to lose their first teeth together. They were best friends and life was ideal for them. Jonah was still very protective of his sister and it increased in intensity once Holt officially adopted Jonah. Jonah's biological father completely lost interest in his child once Tracy married Colt and so Grandma Tony contacted the deadbeat and told him to completely sign over his rights. He did so without much convincing and Colt made the decision to make it official and change Jonah's last name as well. Tracy also desired to adopt Dream, but they couldn't locate Lovey to get her to sign her rights over. However, Dream accepted Tracy as her mother, and the family were as close as ever. One day, Dream and Jonah came home from school and were shushed at the door by Tracy. She told them that Cody and Nana were both napping and that they needed to quietly start their homework and eat their snack. The children obliged and quietly walked to the den to start their homework. Dream finished first about a half hour later and went down the hall to use the bathroom. Afterwards, she headed back to the den. Before she reached the den, she felt the urge to go see if her Nana was awake. She peeked her head into Nana's room and saw her still in bed. However, it looked as if Nana's eyes were open. Seeing this, Dream crawled onto the bed with her Nana and started calling her, ready to tell her about her day. She called Nana and grabbed her hand and noticed it was ice cold and that Nima wasn't moving. Dream didn't know about death yet, but
but she knew something wasn't right and screamed for Tracy. Tracy, Jonah, and Consuela came running into the room and the adults immediately knew that Natalie was dead. Consuela led the children out of the room while Tracy called 911, then called. On this day, young Dream learned a hard lesson about suddenness and permanence of death. She would have nightmares about how she found Natalie dead and they would intensify after Natalie's funeral and seeing her in the casket. Dream changed after Natalie's death. Her sleep suffered as did her grades. She snapped at Jonah more and it caused them to fight. They played less and Dream spent more time alone and withdrawn. She also began disregarding directions from her teachers and pulling away from Tracy, afraid to get too attached in case she left too. Dream didn't eat like she should. She missed her grandma and didn't understand why she left her, just like her real mommy had. Dream was depressed. She blamed herself for Natalie's absence, thinking it had to be something wrong with her for her mother and her grandmother to both leave her. Cole and Tracy noticed her despondency despite their own grief and tried everything to get her out of her funk to no avail. Finally, they put Dream into therapy. Slowly but surely, after weeks of sessions, the family saw glimpses of their daughter returning to her happy, vibrant, sassy self. She learned from her therapist about death. She also learned about abandonment. Dream's therapist, Miss Jones, soothed her and let her know that none of what happened to her was her fault and that her sadness was normal. Miss Jones also reminded Dream that though she missed Natalie and wondered about Lovey, that she still had so much to be happy about and to look forward to. The family, still reeling from their sudden loss, worked towards healing together. However, they were oblivious to the revelations that loomed ahead. One day, about six months after his mother passed away, Colt was enjoying the sun's rays on the wraparound porch of their home. The older kids were at school and Tracy was still in bed with Cody. Colt sipped his orange juice and allowed his mind to wander. He thought of his wife, his kids, and even his mother. He missed the presence of Natalie, the way she always seemed to know what to say and when to say it, the way she hummed while doing tasks around the house even though they had a maid, the taste and smell of her peach cobbler. He ticked off memories he shared with his mother in his mind, fighting tears, staring towards the sky. Though he counted his blessings daily, he'd never forget his losses. Colt was shaken from his session of reminiscing by the footsteps of his wife and the babbling of his toddler son. He was grateful for the distraction and stood to greet them. Dada! Cody squealed gleefully, toddling over to Colt, all nine of his teeth bared in a huge smile. Colt wished he could keep his baby boy this age forever as he scooped him up in a bear hug and greeted Tracy with a kiss. They sat on the porch, watched Cody play, and waited to be served breakfast. Tracy sensed a sadness seeping into the cracks of her husband's voice. After a few minutes of silence, she spoke. I know you miss her. We all do. She pulled Colt's head into her lap and stroked his head. Though he didn't cry, his grief was evident. Cody climbed up on the sofa beside his parents and laid on his daddy. They all sat there in quiet understanding until Consuela brought breakfast out to them. Tracy thought of all she had endured before she got to the point she was currently. She and her mother grew up poor and her father was more elusive than a thief in the night. 
she'd been an awkward child in school, very intelligent but shy because she got ridiculed for her dark skin tone and being a teacher's pet. Tracy endured that ridicule until she reached high school where she had begun to blossom. She started to gain male attention which boosted her confidence and increased her popularity. She became a cheerleader and her grades also earned her a spot on the honor roll every semester. However, despite her popularity at school, there was a clique in her neighborhood that never forgot awkward, shy, poor Tracy. This clique was led by a girl named Lovey, and though they shared the same block, age, and complexion, Lovey made sure that Tracy knew she was beneath her. Lovey and her followers always had a snide comment to throw at Tracy whenever they crossed paths. There was something to be said about everything from Tracy's shape to her hair, even her boyfriend. However, Tracy and most of the kids their age knew that though Lovey was cute and stylish, she wasn't that bright, so Tracy ignored her antics for years. Finally, during her senior year, where Tracy was set to graduate with honors and scholarships, dropout Lovey had finally pushed Tracy's buttons one time too many, and they fought in the middle of Fulton Avenue. Tracy had been walking with her high school sweetheart, who would later become her son's father. Lovey and her flunkies were sitting on some steps when Lovey called out to Tracy's boyfriend. Hey boy, why you dealing with that flatback Tracy? I got cuter homegirls I can set you up with. Tracy let go of her boyfriend's hand and did a running dive onto Lovey with swinging fists. While she tore into Lovey with the vigor of years worth of frustration, Lovey's flunkies tried to jump in, but Tracy's boyfriend held them back and some of her neighborhood friends that had joined the crowd watching the commotion made sure she wouldn't get jumped. Lovey learned that day that quiet doesn't always equate to weep. In the days after the brawl, Lovey said nothing when she saw Tracy. In the months that followed, they saw less of each other as Tracy prepared for college and Lovey were in the streets with her handsome, older boyfriend, Colt. Ironically, the same events would affect both of their lives in different ways and their paths would cross yet again years down the line. Tracy smiled to herself as she gloated inwardly about how she'd ended up with Lovey's man. Lovey's daughter even loved Tracy more than her own mama. In Tracy's opinion, Lovey was a dumb bitch to the end. She had it made. A fine man with money and a good heart, a pretty baby, a maid, a nice house. All she had to do was give Colt some when he wanted it and take care of their daughter. Instead, she became a coke whore and ran off with her man's short, jealous brother. One woman's trash was another woman's treasure, and Tracy started planning since the day she saw Lovey talking to Clyde at Dream's first birthday party. Lovey was so high, she didn't realize that Tracy had sat on the chase lounge only feet away from where Lovey and Clyde were talking. Tracy had left college the year before to live with her mom, who'd agreed to help her raise Jonah. Though she loved her son, she was disappointed with herself for getting pregnant by a deadbeat and was desperate to still make a good life for herself. When she heard Lovey complaining to Clyde about how boring her new life was, Tracy knew she had a way into the good life. She finessed her way into a job at Colt's restaurant as soon as the street started talking about Clyde and Lovey's disappearance and patiently played her position. Then she was upgraded to Dream's nanny after Natalie had her first stroke. The rest was history and her persistence had definitely paid off. 
Once she and Colt were engaged, she gotten the home phone number changed and paid the mail carrier not to deliver anything bearing the name Lovey Malone to their house. Tracy was taking no chances on losing her good life and her man. Sometimes people who appear outwardly good can be inwardly deceptive, and Tracy was no exception. Consuela trekked out to the patio with breakfast and the mail. Before waking Cole, Tracy reached for the pile of envelopes and sifted through them. Bill, 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 junk. Ooh, Ebony. Bill, hmm, what's this? Tracy's inner voice echoed in her head. The manila envelope was addressed to Colt from an Arlene Gordon from Atlanta, Georgia. Tracy stuffed the envelope inside her ebony magazine somewhere she knew Colt wouldn't look and planned to get to the bottom of its contents later. Then she woke her husband and they sat down to breakfast. Arlene And since that Lovey's child was indeed Bryce's and even more pissed about the note that accompanied the results, Arlene became even more determined to rid her son of that no-good gold-digging wife of his. She tried pleading with Bryce, telling him that his mother's intuition was never wrong, but he was just too hooked to care. So, Arlene used the thing that made her the most suspicious of Lovey to fuel her plan for Lovey's undoing, the heifer's lack of family and mysterious past. Using money her son put into her account every week, Arlene hired a private investigator. The assignment for the investigator named Steve Lobos was clear. Dig up any and every piece of information on Lovey Malone and bring it to Arlene. Steve was one of the best in the nation and his prices reflected it, but Arlene didn't care. She was desperate to break up her son's marriage. As the weeks went by, Steve collected piles of information on Lovey. Arlene learned that Lovey was a stripper for years in Atlanta and that her boyfriend Clyde had been murdered in a drug house, that her father was killed when she was 14, her mother was a junkie, and that she was originally from Baltimore. These were things that she'd already told Bryce, so more dirt was needed. Another week passed and Steve gathered and presented even more information. This time, Arlene had hit the mother load. Lovey apparently had another child, a girl by the name of Dream. She was seven years old and had been left back in Baltimore with her father, Colt Weaver. It appeared that when Lovey arrived in Georgia six years ago, she had abandoned them both for Colt's brother, the same one who ended up dead in a drug house. Arlene had a hunch that Lovey had something to do with Clyde's murder, but she had no proof. Thinking about what to do with the information Steve had dumped on her lap, Arlene came up with a plan. She'd instructed Steve to find Colt's address and to take current pictures of Lovey, Paisley, and even Bryce. Arlene was about to send a package that she hoped would get a scandalous response, one explosive enough to ruin an ill-fated marriage. Tracy The envelope in her ebony magazine was driving Tracy insane. She needed to get away from Colt to look at it. Finally, Colt and Cody went to get Dream and Jonah from school and then out to get ice cream. Tracy went into the den and curled up on the futon with her ebony. She made sure the coast was truly clear and tore into the envelope. The manila envelope addressed to Colt from Arlene. Pictures fell out first. Pictures of Lovey, an ugly man with a big birthmark on his face, and a baby girl that looked a lot like Dream fell out. It looked as if they were living well. 
They wore nice clothes and jewelry. Lovey's hair was laid and even the baby bag looked expensive. But why? Why is this Arlene sending these pictures? Tracy murmured curiously. There was a letter enclosed too. Tracy began to read. Colt, you do not know me, but by the pictures enclosed, I'm sure you have learned that we have a person in common. It has been about seven years since you've seen her, and I know many nights have passed with you wondering where she was and why she left so abruptly. I know that your baby girl has had questions about where her mother went. You see, Lovey married my son Bryce, who plays for the Atlanta Falcons. She has a daughter with him now as well. Since I've met her, I've been suspicious about her. She was very mysterious about her past and claimed she has no living family. I could not keep ignoring the nagging feeling I had about her when she got pregnant suddenly by my son and they had their quickie wedding. Therefore, I hired one of the best private investigators in the business and he led me to her past, to you. Before I tell my son, who is blinded by lust for this woman, I wanted to contact you first to give you an opportunity to get you and your daughter some closure. I look forward to making her life implode on her. She deserves it. She's selfish, disrespectful, and cold. I want her out of my son's life. I hate her, and I could not blame you if you did as well. What kind of a woman leaves her young daughter as if she does not exist? If you wish to contact her and ask the countless questions I know you have, here is her information. Lovey Gordon, 12 Peachtree Way, Buckhead, Georgia, 30305, 706-422-8546. Regards, Arlene Gordon, 762-335-0394. Aw, hell nah, Tracy exclaimed aloud. She be damned if this bitch love you ruined her fairy tale, even inadvertently. She knew Colt must never see that letter, so she hid it in her makeup bag, another place he would never look. Miss Arlene would just have to find another way to be Lovey's undoing because her cause was not worth the man Tracy worked so hard to hook. She was willing to preserve her life by any means necessary. Lovey. Lovey was on her P's and Q's, playing the loving mother and wife to Paisley and Bryce. The loving mother role was not so hard to play though. Oddly enough, Lovey felt like Paisley was her second chance at motherhood. She knew she had done wrong by Dream, but she had not been ready to settle down and focus on her child back then. However, she was more mature with Paisley and having a nanny, a butler, and millions of dollars at her disposal did nothing but help matters. Her life had the perfect balance of excitement and calm as she was able to rub elbows with the wives and girlfriends, wags, of Bryce's teammates, shop till she dropped, and party pretty much every weekend. She had rich friends, an active social life, a cute baby girl, and a dumb husband wrapped around her little finger. She had even managed to not cheat, though she missed the good sex because she didn't want to risk losing her good life behind wayward dick. She just trained herself not to feel nauseous whenever Bryce wanted sex and pleased herself with various toys when the itch needed scratching, using the men she flirted with while she was out as muses for fantasizing. It worked for a while, but Lovey was getting antsy. She had been a good wife, 
pretending that Bryce's lackluster sex was outstanding for too long. Levy lounged on the chase lounge on the deck of her elaborate buckhead home, plotting on setting up a rendezvous with her pre-marriage fling. Now he had sex worth swooning over. Troy was 6'3 with a body that looked as if it was sculpted from Godiva chocolate. He had muscles in all the right places, a full beard, beautiful white teeth, and wore a baldy. He was everything Bryce was not, but he was also broke. That's why Lovey needed them both. Bryce for security and Troy for a thrill. Paisley was down for a nap, and once the housekeeper was out of earshot, she had picked up the phone and pressed star 67 and dialed Troy's old number, hoping it was still the same. When she heard his deep baritone, she throbbed all over and commenced to sweet-talking him, explaining her absence. Troy was no fool. He had heard through the grapevine that Lovey was married to a football player. He saw an opening for some extra finances in his life. He checked his ego, suddenly not so insulted that Lovey had ditched him and started sweet-talking her back. They conversed for a while longer and finally arranged for a rendezvous the next day at a motel on a seedy side of town. Troy was accepting of this, knowing that he could get more out of Lovey if Bryce didn't catch her. He would only resort to blackmail if she cut him off again. After they hung up, Lovey was giddy for the remainder of the day. She snuggled up on Paisley and Bryce and even relented to her husband's sexual advances, knowing she would get actual satisfaction tomorrow. Lovey did meet with Troy the next day and continued to meet with him a couple of times a week, rotating seedy motels, buying him things with her husband's money. She moved about freely, none the wiser about the extra set of eyes following her daily or what was set to unfold and pose a huge threat to her picturesque life. Arlene. Weeks passed and morphed into months. She waited, paying Steve to gather more dirt on Lovey, noticing that Colt had not contacted her. She figured Colt had not reached out to Lovey either because there had been no blowout between Lovey and Bryce about the information in the package she'd sent. She had sent another one just to be safe. However, she was antsy and tired of bearing Lovey in her attitude to see her son and grandchild. Arlene decided it was time for plan B. Steve had gathered more pictures of Lovey over the past couple of months. These pictures showed that Jezebel creeping in and out of motels with a mysterious man. Lovey even had the nerve to be carrying shopping bags in some of the photos, meaning that she was a sugar mama for this attractive young man. After gathering sufficient evidence of an affair, Arlene had Steve send a heavy envelope to Bryce's house. Arlene could hardly wait for the explosion that would accompany Bryce's discovery of the information she had gathered on his Jezebel of a wife. She stifled her excitement and focused on acting as normally as possible until the shit hit the fan. Colt. Colt had come home early one day, hoping to surprise his wife with some midday loving, but he had found out she was not there. She did leave a note though, explaining that she was out taking her mother to a doctor's appointment and then to lunch. Cody was with her and the older kids were at school, so he, Colt, was home alone. He grabbed the mail from the table in the foyer and headed to his easy chair, kicking off his shoes along the way. Bill, Bill, junk. Bill, he muttered as he sorted through the stack of envelopes. Then he came across a thick manila envelope addressed to him in bold print with no return address. 
Curious, he opened it. As soon as he did, his heart stopped as he looked at the pictures that fell into his lap. All of time seemed to stop as he registered the face and figure in the pictures. Lovey. There were pictures of her toting a baby that looked a lot like Dream, pictures of her with a man with a dark birthmark on his face, and pictures of her creeping out of motels with a different man. She looked to be living well, but still up to no good. Colt sat in shock for what had to be 20 minutes before he composed himself enough to read the letter that accompanied the photos. Colt, this is the second time I've sent this package. I hope that this time I'll hear from you, even if it's just a confirmation that you've received it. You don't know me, but by the pictures enclosed, I'm sure you've learned that we have a person in common. It has been about seven years since you've seen her, and I know many nights have passed with you wondering where she was and why she left so abruptly. I know that your baby girl has had questions about where her mother went. You see, Lovey married my son Bryce, who plays for the Atlanta Falcons. She has a daughter with him now as well. Since I met her, I've been suspicious about her. She was very mysterious about her past and claimed she has no living family. I could not keep ignoring the nagging feeling I had about her when she got pregnant suddenly by my son and they had their quickie wedding. Therefore, I hired one of the best private investigators in the business and he led me to her past, to you. Before I tell my son, who is so blinded by lust for this woman, I wanted to contact you first to give you an opportunity to get you and your daughter some closure. I look forward to making her life implode on her. She deserves it. She's selfish, disrespectful, and cold. I want her out of my son's life. I hate her, and I could not blame you if you did as well. I had hopes that we could work together in revealing her lies together, but I intend to move forward with my plan whether you're involved or not. What kind of a woman leaves her young daughter as if she doesn't exist? If you wish to contact her and ask the countless questions I know you have, here is her information. Lovey Gordon, 12 Peachtree Way, Buckhead, Georgia, 30305, 706-422, 8546. Regards, Arlene Gordon, 762-335-0934. Colt's head was really spinning after the letter. His first thought was wondering how Lovey could just leave him and dream and start a new family as if it was nothing. Colt did not know that he should contact Lovey. If it was so easy for her to leave, then it was obvious he and dream meant nothing to her. He did not feel he could talk to her after all these years without his anger and feelings of betrayal getting the best of him. It was probably best for them all if he continued to act as if he had no clue of her whereabouts. He decided that when he calmed down, he would call Arlene and let her know that while he appreciated the update, he was not interested in a plan to take Lovey down. The idea of revenge had crossed Colt's mind more than once, but as he grew closer to God, he decided that Lovey was not worth it. Then, after he paced the floor for a while, trying to calm his mounting anger, a realization hit him. The letter said that this was the second package that Arlene had sent him. If this was true, then what happened to the first package? Colt decided to wait until his wife got home, since she was usually the one to sort the mail. Maybe she knew what happened to the first package. Lovey. 
Levy was wore out after yesterday's rendezvous with Troy. After she unveiled the new Jordans and true religion she had picked up for him, he had shown his appreciation with vigor, stretching her body in ways she did not know was possible, and did so for hours. While Paisley played nearby in her playpen, Levy lay across the couch waiting for her pain meds to kick in. She was grateful that Bryce was playing an away game against Dallas so that she would not have to give him any. She was sore from Troy and had told her husband that she was having an especially problematic menstrual cycle to prevent him from asking her to attend. She then summoned the nanny to take Paisley while she slept the medicine off. The medicine lulled her into a deep sleep and when she woke up hours later, she found the male laying on the table beside her. She did her ritual of tossing the bills aside for Bryce and his accountant to sort out and came across a heavy manila envelope. Though it was addressed to Bryce, Levy began to open it. It did not matter how many secrets she had, Bryce was not allowed any in their marriage. Pictures spilled out into her lap. Her grogginess began to wear off quickly as she realized that the pictures were of her in various states of activity. There she was, creeping in and out of hotels with Troy, carrying shopping bags. Then, there was a copy of Dream's birth certificate along with an old picture of her and Colt when Dream was first born. When she recovered from the shock of it all, she realized there was a letter enclosed. Bryce, I know that you're in love and that you're living a life you would never imagine for yourself. However, baby, as long as you live with that Jezebel of a wife, you're living a lie. She does not love you. She's using you. A soul that corrupt is not capable of love. She left a whole family behind on a selfish whim. The young man in the picture is her first daughter's father. She left Baltimore with his biological brother, who's now dead. A woman that can leave her infant daughter on an impulse is not the mothering type. A woman who can date brothers is not a wifely type. She's also cheating on you, spending your money on some thug while you're at practice and playing away games. Son, I know this hurts, but you need to know the truth. I have not always been the best mother, but I have always wanted the best for you. You're a good man who deserves a good woman. Leave this whore alone. Take your daughter and leave her in the cold. I'll help you in every way I can, but it's time to cast this demon from your life. I love you, Mama. Are you still up? Girl, good night. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.